This is Rosen Institute's Your Law Firm, covering management, marketing, finance, and new technologies for growing your law firm. Here's Lee Rosen. It's good to be with you today from Sigiswara, Romania. We rode over here on the train the other day, and we're exploring this medieval town that feels a little bit like you're walking through a fairy tale. It's quite fascinating. Our hotel is in a 500-year-old building that has been occupied by the same family since it was built. The floors in this building squeak like you can't even imagine. With every step, there's this loud, squeaky noise. It's impossible to move around the room quietly. When I woke up this morning, I just had to accept that moving around the room was going to wake Lisa up. That's just the way it is when you're living in a building that's 500 years old. It's time for your tech tip. I received an email from a listener the other day, and he asked, how are you able to conduct business in light of the time zone differences that you deal with? And I'll tell you, it's easier than you might imagine. The most important thing for me is simply this. I need to know what time it is in the two different places. In theory, time zones are pretty easy, but where the rubber really meets the road is when you need to conduct a call or a meeting with people in two or more different time Time zones. My time zone toolbox, having tried lots of different tools over the years, includes Fantastical. That's my calendar application. It runs on the Mac and it handles time zones really, really well. I've tried a lot of different calendars for my iPhone and for my MacBook, and Fantastical just makes it much easier than anything else I've ever tried. I also appreciate a Mac application called The Clock. It's by a company called Sense. It replaces my menu bar clock, and I've got a list in it of about 12 time zones where I have contacts that I need to meet with or talk to with some frequency. I can easily click on the clock in my menu bar, and a list drops down, and I can see all of the time zones instantly. There's even a little slider at the bottom that allows me to move the time forward or backwards so that I can set a meeting at just the right time. I also get a lot of use out of the clock app on my iPhone, the built-in clock app, and it has a world clock feature, and it works pretty well. I have a widget set up on my screen showing a number of different time zones that I end up referring to most frequently. Finally, I use a website called timeanddate.com. It comes in handy for doing time zone calculations as well as for checking on holidays. I've had a number of situations where I get the time figured out just right, but I end up setting a meeting on a holiday and everything goes wrong. Some countries seem to have a holiday about once a week, so the time zone may not be the only barrier that you face when you're setting up calls or meetings in those places. But wait, there's more. I have a couple of strategies that I employ to make the entire time situation easier. The first thing I do is I minimize voice communications whenever possible. I have optimized the services and the products that I offer at Rosen Institute around the idea that I mostly won't speak to people in real time. So I end up doing very few live discussions. We've built the business around the idea of not having live discussions. Plus, most of my interactions with my coworkers and customers and contractors and vendors, they are all asynchronous. I've got a bunch of folks, these kinds 
contractors and vendors and coworkers, and we are all together on Slack. We're all online together on Slack. And so we can go back and forth when we're online, but we can also go back and forth when we're not online. I can post a comment and simply wait for the vendor or for my coworker to respond on Slack. We can communicate asynchronously. Other folks communicate with me via email, so I reply to them when I'm awake, and that works for the most part. We get things done without having live communications. The second thing I've done is that I just accept my fate, and sometimes I have no choice but to do calls, and I do them when it's necessary, and most of the time it's no big deal. When I'm seven hours ahead of the U.S. East Coast time, where I am right now, I can easily do calls late in the afternoon or in the early evening. It becomes a bigger issue when I'm in Asia or down toward Australia, New Zealand. Then I'm 12 or more hours ahead. That's a bigger challenge. On a few very rare occasions, I've had to schedule calls very late at night. I've been up on the phone at 1 in the morning or at 2 in the morning, and I'll tell you, I don't like doing that. I don't think the person I'm speaking with is getting the best version of me, but once in a while, it's unavoidable, so I just do it. Time gets tricky when the time differences get bigger. Now, I'm not going to say that I haven't, even with these technologies at my fingertips, that I haven't screwed up time zones with some frequency, but taking the approaches that I've mentioned today will help you most of the time to get things just right. That's your tech tip. And now for your moment of concise advice. Everybody loves lingo and acronyms and abbreviations. And the truth is that this sort of insider language, well, it makes people like me, dumb people, we feel smart. We feel included. We learn the language and we get to throw around the terminology. I did it in law school with words like jurisprudence and civil procedure and venue and chattel and intestate and list pendants. And I loved working those things into a conversation. They filled my brain and I used them at every opportunity. We get so immersed in our professional or technical language. And then we reach a point where we have to go backwards and relearn English if we're going to make a living through having conversations with and talking to real people, people that we would like to have as clients. You've seen it in our profession, the really great Great, the amazing trial lawyers. They have to forget even more of this language of these special words. They have to go backwards to a place where they can speak to jurors. They have to use real words for real people. They become the world's best communicators because they figure out how to go back to basics and talk to normal people who aren't bogged down in all of this professional terminology. Getting a professional education, it can totally destroy your capacity to communicate with people outside of your profession. I kind of knew that I was doing it, but boy, I really got it. I really came to understand it when I spent time with my wife's classmates when she was getting her PhD in literature, and they used all the words. I had no idea what they were talking about, and it kind of made me smile and laugh to myself when they went on and on throwing out all of the phrases they had been 
and learning. I just sat there listening and smiling and having no idea what they were talking about. They used words like alliteration and allegory, and then they went down this path of words and phrases like narrative and solipsistic and deconstructionism. And I truly was lost, but it was pretty entertaining to watch. Well, our professional language, it serves us as we communicate with other professionals, but it really hurts us when we have to talk to regular people. So I encourage you to watch your words. I spend a lot of time talking to lawyers about marketing, and quite often these lawyers are new to the marketing arena, and they're excited about it. They really are energized for it. They're learning a lot, and they're like young professionals. They adopt the language. They're like the newly converted in a religion. They can't stop talking about marketing, and they quickly adopt the lingo. But I'll tell you this, the words of marketing, they can become super counterproductive when you use them with real people outside of the marketing universe. When a lawyer refers to a potential client as a lead rather than as a person or as a potential client, or when they talk about that person with language like, oh, the lead is ready to close, well, they send a powerful message. Unfortunately, it's the wrong message. They're using language that turns people, real people, with real problems who are often in pain, it turns them into something less. Saying something that gets overheard, like the lead is at the bottom of the funnel, well, if they find out that you are referring to them in that way, well, that may direct them toward somebody else's funnel. Watch out when you're using terms like lifetime value and qualified lead. You don't want your prospective clients to feel dehumanized or monetized. I encourage you when you're learning about marketing to understand all of that terminology so that you can understand the ideas and strategies and tactics that are being taught. But then get rid of that language. Let it go. Put it away. Go back to talking about humans and talking to humans humans like they are humans. That's your moment of concise advice. Wrapping up from Sigiswara, Romania, thanks for spending a few minutes with me today. I hope you have a great weekend and an even better week next week. Keep plugging away, moving forward, getting things done. You are on the right track. You'll get there. I promise we're all in this together, and together we build better practices through better marketing, better management, and better technology. Until next time, I'm Lee Rosen. Thanks for listening to Your Law Firm. Visit rosensrules.com for our free course on the 10 critical rules all successful law firms follow.